All right. Welcome in. You know, Mason, it's crazy. We are already on episode four uh, of the Golden Homers podcast. Uh, last week was uh, was an incredible show with Tom Loy. Uh, really happy with, you know, the viewings that we got. Uh, really happy just in general with how this podcast is kind of coming together uh, with the both of us. It's, it's, it's game week, uh, which is crazy to say. I mean, I we have a special guest today in uh, – and John Kennedy from Always Irish, he's going to be with us here shortly. Um, but no, Mason, it's it's game week, um, and I don't think you're going to find three guys that are more passionate about college football and Notre Dame in general. Um, so I think this is going to be a pretty good show. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think you know, not only were we heading into game week, but we're hitting our stride at the right time, Nathan. Uh, I think we more than tripled our our downloads, our listens in the from episode two to episode three with a Tom Loy episode. And I think we're going to do even better numbers here. I know John's going to bring a crowd. People people love to uh, listen to what he has to say, and I'm excited to hear what he has to say, too. I know we've got some good segments to tee him up and really uh, get him going, so I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, our our, uh, our views went way up. Um, I think that had, to, had a lot to do with, obviously, Tom joining the show, but just in general, um, you know, with, with it being our third show, and we're, you know, we're kind of ramping up here. Like I said, it's game week already. we got Florida State. And I uh, know it's I think it's just going to continue to grow. And we're really we're really happy with how it's uh, how it's uh, started so far. Um, just to kind of give you guys a quick preview before we bring John on. Um, we got record predictions and season outlook for Notre Dame on today's show. We got bold predictions. Uh, we all have about two or three bold predictions that we're going to go through uh, for this Notre Dame team, whether that be bad or good predictions. Uh, I don't know exactly what John and uh, and Mason have in store for us in that regard. Um, we're going to do a little FSU Notre Dame preview. My apologies for saying FSU first. I shouldn't have done that. Um, but no. Uh, and then, and then we'll talk a little Cubs socks because you know if you if you do follow John on on social media or or anything like that, you know he's a big Sox fan. So Mason's uh they 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 got me doubled today um, in regards to that. So we'll we'll get we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Without further ado, uh, we got John on the line. John, how you doing? What's up, boys? Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Been, absolutely, absolutely. We've been uh, we've been dying to get you on. Obviously, like I said, it's only uh, episode four for us. Uh, we had a nice little guest last week in Tom Loy, which I know you uh, you know you're you're a big fan of his as well. But we're we're excited to get you on. Uh, we we expect you to probably be a pretty good uh, um, you know listener and <laughs> and uh, and friend of the show. Um, but but uh, before we get started, John. Uh, you weren't. You didn't necessarily come on this show uh, by your own accord. I think I threatened you, didn't I? Yeah, you did actually threaten <laughs> me, and uh, you just said not coming on was not an option. And then I responded, "Did you give Tom Loy that same threat, or what? <laughs> What's the deal here?" Unfortunately, I think he has a little bit more pull than you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's obvious. Um, but I, I know I've discussed a little with you on what we're going to do here coming into the show. Uh, I was just telling Mason that I don't think you're going to find uh, three more passionate college football or Notre Dame fans and maybe three just different fans in general. Uh, I tend to be like the the ultimate optimist. Mason's kind of in between to an extent. And then I don't know if I would call you pessimistic per se, uh, but certainly more so than than my. Um, and, I, and I think Mason as well. John knows what he wants. 
I know what I want, but at the same time, this is the perfect blend in that way. Cause you're going to have a little bit of all those flavors all bandied about together. And I think that's a healthy conversation. <laughs> healthy is a word for it. For I certainly. do. That's a healthy conversation. And some of what I'm going to get into here might surprise you guys. So give it a little time. I think you probably mean healthy as in the, the banter will be good. Maybe not healthy for your actual physical health though. Right. <laughs> Football season is terrible for my health, dude. John, I, mean, I haven't watched a game with you yet, but I have a feeling that Notre Dame football has taken years off your life and is going to continue to do so. It is not relaxing. Like, like I love it. I'm addicted to it. It means everything to me, but in no ways are Notre Dame Saturdays relaxing in any way at all, ever. You know, it's funny you say, you know, this is kind of going off subject a little bit, but I <laughs> read this uh, stupid article on Twitter the other day in the New York Post, and it was like every hot dog you eat takes 35 minutes off your life. I don't know if you guys saw that or not. Oh, I did. We were talking about that at work today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that every Notre Dame football game takes a lot more than 35 minutes off of John's life. Yeah, (laughs) at least, at least, but you know what? Ask Joey chestnut. He's eating wieners a hundred at a time and he's fine. (laughs) So go ask him about that. It's fair. I might have to. We'll bring him on the show today. And I had hot dogs last night. So then I was like, you know what? I don't know that that's, that's kind of bad timing for me. I sent that to my wife, and she uh, she said that she should be dead by now. So, I don't know. She's still Speaking kicking. Speaking of wives, John, how does your wife feel about you and your actions about Notre Dame football? Uh, it, there is a reason when we moved into the new house that I put all my stuff in the basement and built out the <laughs> – I built out the studio in the basement, a viewing area, and – I, that is just where I go to be alone and let normal people upstairs be normal. I'm glad you realize you're not normal because I don't think we are necessarily either. No, I want, <laughs> I 100% accept and own the fact that I am not normal. And uh, I just try and um, I just try and seclude myself from other people. So, so it doesn't rub off on them. Well, maybe uh, I know you. Georgia Tech game this year uh, my first time back in South Bend in uh, about two or three years now um, and uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll all run into each other at that point and be able we'll to make it happen yeah no absolutely I believe um, Nate, Nathan's bullying me into going to that game so I'll probably do that too because I'm going to USC we're gonna have an always Irish tailgate party there so we're gonna do that um, but if you guys are going to go to the to tech, I'll probably I'll end up probably going then just to meet up with you. Well, you're it's a whole t- ten minute drive down the road for me. So if you're pulling my leg, yeah, I forgot all about that. Like some of us have a little bit of a travel time. Like it's about two hours straight over from like the Chicago area. It's not bad. Um, but if you guys want to put it together, I could be talked into going to that game. Oh, it's happening. Whether you I like mean, it or not, you're... just like you coming on the show. Whether you like it or not, you're here. If you're talking already about a, a uh, an always Irish uh, uh, tailgate, I mean that might be something I'm willing to do for Georgia Tech if you're in. Maybe. I mean, I'm doing it for <laughs> USC because it's USC. Fair. Georgia Tech's later. I might not be in the mood for a tailgate party. Oh, you will, Nathan. Mark him down. It's happening. That's we'll the problem with the. That, listen, 
This is why I don't commit to going to late season Notre Dame home games because I might be miserable by then. And then I'm going to be cold and miserable the whole day. And I don't want to sign up for that. You're miserable anyways. <laughs> That's true. All right. That's let's true. get, let's, uh, <laughs> that, that was some good banter, I think, to start this out. But, uh, so I, I know we want to get into a little bit of like the note, you know, like the, the season outlook. Uh, we all have some record predictions. Um, again, mine are probably more optimistic than both of yours. Um, but, uh, but John, I'm going to start with you here. W- Notre Dame did lose a lot of guys. I mean, I don't think can be ignored. I mean, Ian Book is gone after being a two and a half, three year starter. Um, you know, lost some guys on, at wide receiver as well. And Skoranek, Javon McKinley lost four starting offensive linemen. Um, good news is obviously on offense, they do return, you know, Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, one of the best duos at running back in the country. Michael Mayer, probably the best tight end in the country that no one's talking about, to be completely honest, which I find flabbergasting. Um, Kevin Austin, Brayden Lindsay seem healthy. Um, and, and are guys that, you know, at least have shined in camp, which we haven't seen a lot of that or heard a lot about that over the last few years, which is nice to hear. Um, and then Marcus Freeman, which is your boy. Um, I know you have the patent and hashtag and you got the shirts, uh, Freeman factor. Um, so I don't think the defense is going to miss, miss much the beat, um, in, in my opinion. But, John, what, what is sort of just your general outlook on this season? What, what are you excited about? Maybe what are you, you know, sort of uh, – maybe not so excited about. So I, my theme after last year ended, you know, that big window of the off season between the, the last game and then, you know, uh, camp, my big philosophical question has always been is Notre Dame to the point where you're reloading and not rebuilding when you enter a transitional year where you're replacing a lot of production And not just a lot of production, but at very important positions. That's like my conceptual, philosophical angle I've been entering this with. But it's exciting, you guys. Like, allegedly, we're going to be installing a more aggressive type of offense. I'm really excited to see what that looks like. My wannabe boyfriend has taken over the defense. and But see, that's where it really excites me because since this run Notre Dame's been on, it's from 2017 till now. That defense has been the backbone rock of the program. I want to see Freeman make a strength, even a better strength. That really excites me to see if he could do it. I think my biggest anxiety is getting whatever this offense is going to look like off the ground to where you can run it the way you want to run it. And I think it all starts with that offensive line. You're replacing that many guys. It's always going to make you nervous. I think that group is the key that is going to determine just how good this offense can be and how soon they can be good. You know, does it take a half season for them to gel? Do they look decent in week one or two, ready for Wisconsin coming up? So I have a little anxiety there because I think that offensive line is going to dictate what this offense could do and look like. Flipping over to defense, I, I outside of Kyle Hamilton, I'm a little nervous on the back end. I wish there was a little bit more that I knew I could trust and rely on other than him. 
but I, I do not think we're going to be in a situation where I'm saying Notre Dame's defense lost us that game. I, I just, I have a hard time say, thinking that. I just don't. So I am excited to see some, some new looks from Freeman on that defense, make a strength a bigger strength. And I'm really interested to see this offense shake out what it's going to look like. So that's kind of what I'm looking at and the things I'm excited for and a couple things I'm nervous about. So, John, the, the offensive line, is that the position group you'd say you're most nervous about? We were on, Nathan and I were both on Jack Lanyard's uh, podcast the other day, the slant route, uh, talking about the offensive line. And Nathan and I had differing opinions, so I kind of want to see where you land on the offensive line because I'm high on some guys and not so much on others, and Nathan's kind of the same way. So I was curious what your general thoughts are on the offensive line, who's going to break out, who you think might, might struggle a little bit. I'm, I'm just <laughs> – I just – think it, it makes you nervous when you're when you're replacing almost everybody that's from your starting group that's not a natural flow for most offensive line groups to lose that much it, 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 even if we all love Fisher he's a young guy you don't know what you're going to get and what you can rely on right away so uh, I'm looking at that you got a guy like you got a guy like Madden that's coming in from a program that doesn't play the rigorous schedule Notre Dame does week in week out is he going to be able to hold up and fit right in on in this big stage think you know what you're going to get out of Patterson like like looking at at the position Lug's going to have okay fine what if he gets hurt like like so I just have I just have these little things that are bugging me but if it all comes together it could be really strong and I will say I think at this point I don't know if you guys agree with this, but Notre Dame's offensive line almost should get the benefit of the doubt from a recruiting standpoint. You know, they, they should have guys that it should. Yeah, exactly. It should, should is the key word there. I mean, you never know. I mean, everybody seems to think that that's the weak link or at least at the present time, sort of like the question mark. And John kind of nailed that on the head with his comments. Um, But they're in reality, they recruit the, the offensive line at maybe the best level of anybody in college football. They certainly develop it at, you know, right up there with the best people in college football. I mean, I think you look at just what they did here in, in uh, the 2021 draft with, or, um, you know, with, uh, you know, three guys getting drafted and another guy going unsigned. And I think Tommy Kramer ended up on the, you know, the, the Lions practice squad today with uh, of Notre Dame's roster from last season as well. All the guys that got cut yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there, there should be this you, – you'd think that there would be this excitement level or confidence level in the, in the offensive line to produce. But at the same time, I completely understand where the – you know, and, and anxiety level, you know, comes from. It's, you know, you got four new guys. What, whether but, but or see, not – It's not just that – I think I wouldn't be as nervous if that maybe first game wasn't in a hostile environment at night with a million drunk people that have been drinking all day yelling. So a, a part of that is, is extra anxiety based on the environment. The first game, this group's together, that makes that dynamic is adding more anxiety to me than if we played Toledo at home the first week, for, for instance. And that's ramping up my anxiety a little more because that is a tricky environment. 
to be all on the same page right away. I can't give you an amount, but but that's a part of my anxiety too, is this specific environment of week one. Do you think part of that is PTSD from Miami a couple of years ago? Don't even, I'm not, I'm not even going to acknowledge that. <laughs> I'm still not over that nightmare. I think yeah, it's definitely a part that. of it. And uh, I think Kelly's made the right strides. I'm not sure if you guys read or I've heard, I heard uh, on that Inside the Garage podcast that Kelly's been playing that, that Florida State chant, the arm chop video at, all week at practice. So hopefully they're, they're just ignoring it at this point. But, yeah, John, you're absolutely right that bringing in four new guys and Blake Fisher, his, hey, your first college start, your first snaps for Notre Dame, here you are in the, a massive stage. But another thing we talked about was that that's going to be the absolute worst Blake Fisher that we're going to see. So does that give you any hope for the future? Like, I mean, Blake Fisher is going to be a stud, right? Absolutely. I absolutely love that. But at the, at the same first time, I, I, it doesn't have to be one or the other. I could be excited for the development in the future and what he's going to turn into longevity wise, but I also need you to win week one, you know, this year. So it's, it's not one or the other, um, you know, but it, it just, I, I could see this struggling early in this environment. And then, and then that derails what you want to do offensively. And then you got to pair that back. That's where it unravels to me. I just can't have it get to that point because then that retards the progress you're trying to make with this more aggressive offense. And there's a trickle down for that. That's my big concern i'm hoping we don't have to worry about mason what are your sort of uh what's your general outlook on the season i mean i think i kind of have an idea of what it is um you know we've kind of gone back and forth a little bit here as well but uh um you know what are what is and then we'll get into record predictions before we get into some other stuff yeah i think it's a it's a good team it's not a great team but part of that means that good right now is the floor is 10 wins and Kelly has established it that way since this entire revamp of the entire system since 2016 and we don't want to hear John's thoughts on 2016 and what that did to him (laughs) mentally and physically but um, without 2016 always Irish wouldn't exist 2016 is the whole reason I started this whole thing John, you but, might be a ghost after that season. <laughs> oh but the God. Notre Dame trajectory has only gone up since then. I think it's gone. It's going to go a little bit down this year, but that's okay. And I think a lot of guys are going to emerge that fans don't necessarily know. And I think that happens at big-time programs where it's not rebuilding, it's reloading. So I think this year is going to be important for a lot of guys to get some key reps. And then next year and the year after are going to have to be key years and challenging <laughs> for the playoffs can playoff games. So we're going to get into record predictions later. But as I said, I think 10 wins is the floor. Vegas has Notre Dame at eight and a half. I think that's brutal, flat brutal. out disrespectful. Yeah, no, I, 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 John, actually, I want to get your thoughts on that. Are you, are you to the level yet where you think not the floor in the sense that it should be the floor? Do you think that that right now, or are you not there yet? That do I think what's the floor eight and four? No, no. 10 and two. 10, ten and two, two and ten and two is the bottom. Ten and two is the floor. Got it. There okay. is no, there is no more single digits. That's absurd. We're a dozen years into Kelly. Ten and two, it has to be the worst outcome. A dozen years in. So I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is, do do you believe that that it is the floor right now, or do you, or do you think that it should be the floor? I think that it is the floor. All right. 
I think that it is the floor. I, I just think, man, you're a dozen years into this. If you're not reloading enough to do that, what are you doing? Right. And I, and I, you know, and I will say, I think, and this is sort of going to go into my general outlook. Mason brought up a good retool versus or, or, or rebuild, I should say retool versus rebuild. Um, and I feel like rebuilding is what Notre Dame used to do pre 20, even pre 2016, when we didn't think that that was a, a thing that could happen going, you know, three and nine, four and eight, whatever it was. And at this point, I think that Notre Dame still sort of gets labeled by maybe sort of by some of the media, at least as this is a rebuild yield rebuild year versus retool but what is what kind of bothers me about that notion is they went out and got the experienced quarterback that I think that they needed to, to go get to make sure this was a a re uh tool or whatever you want to call it year um and then also yes do they have maybe a, a question at wide receiver or two Sure, but they also have probably their top four to five guys at wide receiver are all upperclassmen. And that's, you know, three seniors, two with some eligibility left. You know, Joe Wilkins behind that. And, you know, obviously if you want to include like guys like Michael Mayer and Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, they're not all upperclassmen, but they're guys that have been in the program and have produced inside the program. So in reality, I don't understand why it's why some people consider it a rebuild versus a retool. I think the reason is probably just because of the amount of talent we lost and the positions that it was at. And Notre Dame's putting a lot of guys in the NFL. So then that puts it in the forefront even more when you see all this talent Notre Dame's putting in the league. But, but, but I, everybody I, I, does that. Like every, every big time program does that. And the next year they're, you know, Alabama's winning national championships with different QB. I know I'm not saying Notre Dame's at that level, but I think that they're at the point where necessarily it's, it's at a retool compared to what Notre Dame should be considered a retool, which is what we consider the 10 and two floor. Right. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. That makes sense to me. And listen, with that wide receiver group, you were just mentioning outside of maybe Davis, I'll believe it when I see it because all That's these fair. other guys have been up and down and available and unavailable in trouble, maybe hurt, maybe not out. <laughs> so I, I will believe it when I see it, when it yeah. comes to high level wide receiver production. Yeah. So I, mean, I get the I, sentiment, I guess in reality, are you not a believer in Kevin Austin? Austin 316, baby. Give me the beer. Let me chug it in the ring, but I got to see it. <laughs> I have to see it to believe it in games. I and I just, guess with Kevin I gotta Austin see it. specifically, with Kevin Austin specifically, I mean, that really is a good point. I mean, he, I mean, how many snaps has he actually played in an Notre Dame uniform? I mean, yeah, he came in with a lot of fanfare. We know, we know exactly what the, the practice reports have said and all that kind of stuff, but that is a really fair point. I mean, we can say Kevin Austin's going to break out and be a first round pick, second round pick, all we want you know, over the next couple of years. Cause I think we all generally or genuinely believe that to an extent, 
but it, it, it goes exactly the way you said. You have to see it, and we have not yet seen it in an actual game. Hey, did you guys see what Braden Lindsay put out on Instagram, I think, last week or the week before? He put out a statement saying, like, I've, I'm that dude. I've always been that dude. I was just hurt last year, but I'm telling you, I'm that dude. I love it. I, I love it, too. I like a guy kind of putting it out there and putting a receipt out there. Um, but, but like, that's another guy with a ton of speed that I haven't seen enough from for various reasons. Right. So now I think you got a court, an experienced quarterback that can maybe distribute the ball down the field a little bit, but it, but I can't bank on it till I see it. So John, you mentioned, uh, spreading the ball down the field and in a, uh, in a reference to one of your most recent YouTube videos, go ahead and tell us what you think the first play on offense should be. I'm telling you right now, I want a fake handoff, suck that Florida State defense in, tell Lindsey you run as straight as you can, as fast as you can, and you tell Cone to throw it as far as he can. And no matter what the result of that play is, everybody knows right away Notre Dame's not scared to do this this year. Play one. Play one. Just they need to get hired. Prove a philosophical point. Play one. They've done it before. I, I would not be at all shocked if that if they if they do it again. Was that play one where Will Fuller, Will Fuller shook a Dory Jackson's hand and burned him a couple of years ago? I think it might have been like the second play. The, well, that was the most single most badass thing I've ever seen in person in my life. Well, actually, well, you actually, if I remember it correctly, didn't USC or something like that just run like the opening kickoff back, and then Notre Dame did that right afterwards, and it was seven seven. It was like, yep. here we go, boys. Yep. yep. But here's the thing. You guys are were probably negative four years old when we did this at Florida State against Florida State with Arnez Battle in 2002. Play one, the exact thing that I said happened, and, and it shut that crowd up. So I'm all for it. John, I was 10 in 2002. Thank you. I was oh. two years old, so I kind of am proving your point. Two <laughs> years old. That is unbelievable. I was at least 10. Come on, give me a little crew. I was 10. You don't Our, remember that game from when you were 10? Remember, who the first Notre Dame game I remember was Notre Dame getting stomped by Ohio State when uh, Brady Quinn was playing. Oh, boy. Oh, that's funny. Uh, Mason, who was the – and, John, you'll get a kick out of this. I, I, and I can't think of the player's name right now. Notre Dame had a player a few years back who whose dad played at Notre Dame like in the early 2000s. And, I, and it's kicking me that I don't remember this name right now. And I mentioned it to Mason. And he was like, I have no idea who that is. And I was like, this was a like a pretty damn good wide receiver at Notre Dame early Was 2000s. it not Arnaz Battle? Maybe it was. That's not, I, I feel like that was right. Arnaz Battle would have been like right over the 2000 mark. 2001, 2002, 2003, I think. No, See, I have no who, recollection of that name. I've seen highlights, but I never once like watched him play. No, but I don't think he had a son. No, maybe I'm mis- maybe I'm kind of mixing things up. But I thought that was the the like one of the most hilarious things because he was like a damn good wide receiver. Was on his battle now that we're kind of talking about it. But great, you know, just a, a really solid player. I mentioned it to Mason one time. He's like, dude, I have no idea who that is. And I was like, that just tells you how young someone is. At, at sometimes you're not. I mean, no one's going to remember every single player. And it was just it was funny to me because I'm like, that was when. 
can really get into Notre Dame and remember and have like actual recollection recollection of like players and just different things like that, you know, in those like right. early, you know, those like later on elementary school years and stuff. Well, like that. I'm barely old enough to legally drink with you guys, so true. That so John, is give me unbelievable. Give me your. <laughs> we're, so we'll do a lot of that in uh, what November twentieth, Georgia Tech. That's right. We're gonna have to. It's so damn cold. <laughs> John, give me your uh, and I want to I want to kind of get this out of the way before we get into some bold predictions here. What what is your actual record prediction this year? All right, before I answer that, I'm just going to ask you guys a question, and it's just a simple question. Then I'll give my answer. How many teams does Notre Dame play this year that you feel have superior talent to Notre Dame? Zero. Zero. Okay, so zero, win your games. <laughs> now, win I do, your games. Now, I do I'm, think now, there are some teams that have some on-par talent, if that makes sense. Here's what I'll say. That, the reason I asked that question is I wanted to see if you guys agreed with me, but, but, but my caveat is I do think there may be teams with less overall talent but maybe some some equal or little better talent at important positions right now. Sure. Like that makes sense to me philosophically, but I automatically struggle answering this when the answer is zero teams have more talent and then I'm supposed to pick us to lose games. Something's wrong with that equation. That being said, 10 and two at the worst, 11 and one. Okay. I'm, so I'm do you, you see Notre Dame dropping one of those that that horror stretch of five games, John? Just one of them. What I would fit what if if this happens, I would guess maybe it's one legitimately tough good game. We fall short in this transitional year, perhaps Wisconsin, something like that, and then maybe with some of the instability we have, we slip up somewhere else in one game. I think we just shouldn't. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Wisconsin, USC, and North Carolina scare me the most. I think North Carolina. I mean, I think that they have a lot of talent. Um, I think when you're returning a Heisman contender at quarterback, that's always scary. They still they lost a lot of talent offensively, but they're still hey, really good. You didn't look like one against us. Fair mm. enough, but everybody has. I think in that five week stretch, it's like five out of I think five out of six teams. And that stretch would ever have a bye week before playing Notre Dame, just like that happens every year. Yeah, that that five game, I've I've been saying the same thing on my show. When you look at that schedule, the back end to me looks super easy. And if you could get by Florida State, you should cruise into that. Window. What you can't have happen is slip up and then maybe having a couple of injuries too, and it snowballs on you. That's something Notre Dame's been able to avoid recently. But that five-game stretch is tough. There is a buy in there, but that that is where it's at. And so um, I agree with you in, in that five-game stretch, but maybe maybe one legitimately tough game uh, we drop, and I think it would probably be Wisconsin. And then, and then one other stupid one that's going to make me mad. So it's interesting you say that. My, I'm at 11-1, and one, and my reasoning behind it is, three out of their four toughest games are at home. And it kind of goes back to what you said about the wide receivers. You have to believe it to see it. I honestly have to believe I I have to, or you have to see it to believe it. I think I mixed those two up for a second. Um, I need to see Notre Dame lose at home 
they can lose at home. I don't see them losing to Cincinnati at home. I don't see them losing to North Carolina or USC at home either. And those are, you know, three out of the four of the toughest games they play. So I'm saying 11 and one, just cause I, I think it's homerish to actually predict 12 and Oh, I mean, we're not Clemson, Alabama yet. We're not to that level yet. So, you know, I, I'm not expecting Notre Dame to just cruise through their schedule every year, but it really is hard for me to pick two losses, for example. Yeah, like, and th- that's how I ended up struggling, saying we have more talent than everybody and then finding losses within it. That's a very frustrating exercise. Yeah, but the one thing I will say, and I think it was Tim O'Malley of Irish Illustrated who them to, like, lose to Virginia. And I think his reasoning was, is that it was kind of what I just said is like, they're going to go 11 and one. I can't really pick a win or I can't really pick a loss. So I'm going to just say they lose some rando game. I think it's going to be a good, I think it's going to be one of their good opponents that they lose to, whether it's at home, maybe it's Wisconsin, you know, at soldier field, but I just don't see them losing to one of those teams that is in fact, actually inferior from a talent perspective. I think there's arguments to be made that USC, um, you know, and North Carolina specifically can be on par talent wise, especially like, like you said, John, that they have, you know, especially North Carolina with Sam Howell, you know, quarterback, you know, than than Jack Cohen. And he can be a guy that takes over a game per se, but, I don't see them losing these games to Virginia, Virginia Tech, you know, Florida State um, that are just, you know, maybe Florida State has the talent, I guess, on paper, but they just they need to prove it before they are, are there yet. And I just don't see the, the coaching and the 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 program morale, whatever you want to call it, to, to compete with Notre Dame, um, you know, from from their perspective right now. So I'm going 11 and one. And it's honestly mostly because I think it's sort of immature to say they're going to go 12 and 0. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the only way Notre Dame loses three or four games is ma- a massive string of injuries at the worst possible position. Yeah, absolutely. They're looking at this schedule. There's just no damn way this with the talent that we're going to lose three or four games. Now, if this was next year's schedule and you ask me this, <laughs> now we're having a different discussion because we're opening up at the horseshoe. You got Clemson and then all the regulars. That's yep. a different discussion because my question about overall talent, you guys would have answered a different way yeah. than what we're talking about. So my perspective is in this transitional year with a little bit lower level of high-end opponents on the schedule, that's where I came up with my 11 and one, 10 and two at the low end, three or four losses. Isn't going to happen unless everybody's injured. I'm telling you, people are sleeping on the depth and talent and speed. Notre Dame slowly been building and the depth. A lot of people are sleeping on that. And even I did for a while and I'm starting to come around a little bit. And it's in the right places too. Um, Mason, what do you got? I've got 11 and one. Uh, Like I said, 10 and two is the floor. And makes me feel good. Both you guys said that you don't see Notre Dame losing three or four because I hit that eight and a half uh, over for probably more than I should have. So it's going to be <laughs> double painful if Notre Dame does, in fact, lose 
four games and I lose a little bit of money on it. So I won't be a happy camper there. Is it count bowl game for that? Regular season. Got it. Got it. I was just curious because I was going to say, I mean, bare minimum, I think even with injuries, I mean, I could see them going like, I guess, eight and four if like, if just the, the wheels fall off. And, I can't have eight and four. And I need they, nine. Right. No, that's why I was asking. That's why I was asking. All right, let's move on a little bit here. Uh, talk a little bit of bold predictions. I, we, we spent about 40 minutes doing that, and I know uh, both of you probably want to watch the Sox, and I know Mason has a fantasy draft coming up. So, um, what, let's uh, Mason, give me your first bold prediction. This one doesn't feel bold, but I've said it before, and it didn't end up coming true uh, with Cole Komet, so I'm going to go ahead and say it as a bold prediction, even though I think he blows it out of the water. Michael Mayer breaks the Notre Dame tight end touchdown record of six. I think he might hit double digits this year. This guy is just a, he's a dude and he's the best tight end in the country, whether people know it or not, they'll know it by the end of this year. And I think he's just going to be a red zone monster. Nobody can cover him. You can't put a corner on him. He's too big. He's too fast for a linebacker. He's too physical for both. So, I mean, what do you do? And I, and especially once Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay break out the way I think they will, and Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams do their thing, I mean, how do you stop him? I just don't know. I think Cone's going to love to go to him in the red zone, and I, I think he easily breaks the six touchdown mark. Yeah, best player, best player on the offense. I don't think uh, questioned at this point. So, I mean, I, it, like you said, it doesn't feel bold, but considering it's never been done. You know, seven touchdowns plus has never been done at the position, and they're you know tight end you of sorts. I think uh, I think that's a good good one to have, John. What what do you got? If we're gonna be bold, I'm gonna be a little bit bold here. I think. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I yeah, right. That's the point. <laughs> I think Lorenzo Styles oh, no. finds a way to have a niche on this team this year. And I'm not entirely sure exactly what it's going to look like. But I think he's a guy that if they're smart, they will figure out a niche for. And he'll be somebody that more than just guys like us are going to know that name. Well, I would certainly help with his little brother. I tell you that. He might be even better. Yeah. That's a a good point. And, you know, and he is in the two deep. That means, uh, I'm completely honest with you, because I do think that the guys that are in the that are backups at the other spots might get a chance before him. Um, but I do think it would be a really, really solid approach by Notre Dame, assuming he's ready to take on the role to, uh, to possibly have maybe like that, um, that Braden Lindsay role uh, from 2019. And, you know, it's kind of be a big play guy that can just do, you know, multiple things, even if it's with limited touches to an extent. Um, speaking of Lindsay, that goes kind of to my first bold prediction. Um, and, and I don't know if you guys know the exact numbers on this, but team, he averaged a little over 23 yards per catch. And I think if you took his carries, it ended up being somewhere around like 20 yards per play or, or, or so. I think he's going to have yards of play. Uh, this year for Notre Dame. And I think a lot of it's going to have a lot of it's going to do with the fact that Michael Mayer, Kevin Austin, Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams are going to take a lot of that. A a lot of like the pressure off of him, but also just like a lot of the the feature off of him, I get if that makes sense. And, you know, and again, I think he's just going to be a big play guy. I mean, I, I really hope what John said about, you know, first play of the season, 
is something that they do on a regular basis. Not necessarily first play of every game because it gets redundant, but I, I just see him being a guy, assuming he's healthy and the soft tissue stuff is sort of behind him. I don't see where teams are going to be able to keep him from getting big chunks almost every time he touches the ball. Uh, so that that's my first bold prediction for the season is that he's going to average over 20 yards per play. I like, I really like that. I, I, I want to feel like Lindsay's role isn't so gimmicky and gadgety this year. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Like, absolutely. like a more consistent type of week to week uh, approach rather than like a gimmicky end around handoff once a game. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I'm excited for that, but I'll believe it when I see it. I was all in on him having a breakout year last year and he just couldn't stay healthy. And then there was this and that I'm ready for it. I'm here for it. And I think with him being at least on the depth chart, the number two guy or, or the op or the other number one opposite of Kevin Austin, that hopefully means his role won't be gadgety. And that's where maybe like the Lorenzo Styles comes in or an Avery Davis or not Avery Davis, um, Lawrence Keys comes in. Maybe those guys can sort of fill that gadgety role to an extent. Maybe Chris Tyree can do that at times as well. Um, but hopefully Lindsay's just going to be a guy that's running normal routes, you know, flying by people and, and, and scoring touchdowns in the process. John, did I, I know you said you had two bold predictions. What's your second one? My second one is, and I, I maybe this isn't bold. It depends on how well you know the Notre Dame roster and have been paying attention. Defensively, I like killers. I like hitters. I think Batello and Foskey are going to be household Notre Dame names by the end of the year. Love it. I hope that comes true. Those Batello's guys are hitters. I love it. Turn over, under on, over under on uh, personal fouls between the two of them. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Anybody who knows me and follows me on social media understands that Botello has been my guy since, the, since he committed to Notre Dame. He was my number one ranked recruit in the 2020 class, um, or for Notre Dame's class, I should say. And uh, so, yeah, and I think he's actually going to be used somewhat in that Maris Leofal role. RIP, by the way. I mean, that's a guy that I think we're going to hopefully we're, we're passed from a, a depth standpoint. Um, yeah, I think the linebacker and the, and the front seven in general is, is so deep that it won't matter too much. Um, but they will need to fill that third down blitzing role that I think Leah Fowl is going to be really effective at. And two guys I'm looking at to do that are Patello and Paul Mawala. Um, and, I, and I could see Patello pretty much playing all over the front seven. My boy, Paul Mawala. Good shout out. I love it. Mason, what's your number two? My number two. Um, so I was looking up stats just now while you guys were talking because I didn't want to make myself sound like an idiot here. I didn't realize – do you guys realize Book only threw 15 touchdowns last year? Oh, yeah. Okay. So it was 24 in total with nine rushing, which is impressive. But Jack Cone is going to is gonna overtake Ian Book's 24 touchdowns from last year. I'll say he hits 25 minimum. I was looking at the stats. I'm not sure if he'll hit – you know what? Okay, he's going to hit 30. 30. 30 touchdowns in total from Jack Cone. I like that. How many passing, how many rushing? 25 and 5. Okay. I think I, I think I, I like it. I think, I think Cohen's a little bit better runner than people give him credit for, so I think he's going to score at least some goal line rushing touchdowns. Not necessarily the, the Tom Brady QB snakes, but certainly maybe uh, – 
you know, a few five from five yard out or something like that. Yeah, so, no, I feel I really pretty good do. about twenty five and five. I here's like my, it. Here's my uh, my second bold prediction, and I, I hope you you guys will love this if it ends up being the case. Blake Fisher will go into the twenty twenty two season as a preseason All American. Ooh, ooh! Give it to me. And I think. Obviously, for him to do that means that he's going to essentially have to be a freshman All-American. He's going to or looking at as one of the top line or already one of the top, you know, offensive tackles in the country, or at least a guy that's going to ascend into that. And uh, there's so much hype around him. I'm buying into the hype train. It's funny because I wasn't his biggest supporter as a recruit i thought he was a really solid recruit but i thought it was going to take him a few years to 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 crack the notre dame o-line which i guess shouldn't have been a a crazy thing to think because it's usually an offensive line that's hard to crack at a young age um but no i I think he's gonna you know the fact that he's already the starting left tackle um i think even if he was the starting right tackle it would be just kind of a different scenario but the starting left tackle at Notre Dame, especially under Brian Kelly has like this, just this aura around it of being, you know, early first round picks. I mean, Lee round pick last year. And so, I mean, I think he's a guy that's going to continue that trend and he's going to be the Notre Dame starting left tackle for the next three to four years and probably win multiple, um, you know, multiple all American or be in the discussion for multiple uh, first team all Americans. So Nathan and John, I don't know if, I've told either of you guys this, but when I was working for Rivals and Blue and Gold Illustrated, I went and saw Blake Fisher play because he was playing against Joey Tanona. And I, after the game, Blake recognized me and Mike, and he came and like gave me like a dab, like a, like a bro hug. And Nathan, I was kind of in the same boat as you. I thought he was a little bit overrated. I didn't think he moved very well until I saw him pancake dudes, and then I got a bro hug, and I was like, I cannot believe how big this dude is. I really think I'm not a small guy. I think he could throw me across the field if he wanted to. It's just so unbelievable how big he is for his age. And that put in a whole new different level of respect for me. I think not. I mean, I feel pretty blessed to be able to do that, but I don't think a lot of fans or anybody gets to do that. It is unbelievable how big he is. And I think people don't really realize that he looks like an NFL guy already. And that was, I saw him a year ago. And apparently his conditioning's at a level that was far superior or far superior to what it was possibly coming in, coming into Notre Dame. He's lost some weight. And I think that's really helped solidify him as an offensive tackle versus maybe being a guard, at least at this level. Yeah. I mean, his hands are the size of my head and I got a big old bean, dude. I mean, good <laughs> God. Johnny. The only other one is just a general point that I I think Notre Dame is going to be better than most of these national predictions have. I I just think people are sleeping on them a little bit in terms of the recent depth and talent that's been going into the program. And I I expect us to be better than those eight and fours. Tell you that. All right. Mason, I think you had one more as well. I do, and this is the one I feel least confident in, but this is a bold prediction. Like John was saying, so we might as well go bold. Uh, I'm going to say Tyree and Kyron Williams both hit 1,000 scrimmage yards. I don't think uh, John would like that. I would love that. Oh, my God. I think they both hit 1,000. Scrimmage or rushing? Scrimmage, because I think they're both going to be key cogs in the receiving game as well. Okay. That, that ding, 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 ding. You just hit on it. They're both, they could both be used in the receiving game way more than they were last year, especially Tyree. 
That is a weapon. Get him in space, get him the ball, and see what happens. I love that. That makes way more sense then, because when you first said it, I, I for some reason I thought you said Russian, and I was like, man, John's going to think that we're just a Russian team that uses Michael Mayer. Kevin Austin and Lindsey aren't going to do anything. But nope. at the same Scrimmage time, yards, are, baby. Scrimmage yards. Then I, I love it even more. I mean, if that's the case, uh, Williams might go over 15, 1600 if he's, if he's catching the ball a lot. Heisman? Um, I, hey, if he gets 15, 1600 yards with you know, 20 touchdowns or close to it, and we're 11 and 1, 12 and 0, he should be up there for the Heisman. It's too bad it's a quarterback award. Well, unless you're an Alabama running back. Yeah, I guess. Unless, yeah, if you're a defensive lineman <laughs> that plays running back. My uh, my last bold prediction, and this will be one that would excite, I think, Notre Dame fans as well, is I think the, the Notre Dame secondary is going to be considered a strength by season's end. Ooh, obviously, that's spicy. That's obviously, bold. That's bold. Yeah, I think that's almost as bold as it gets for this team. And, the, and my reasoning here, and maybe it's just, like I said, I mean, we're the Golden Homers podcast for a reason. We're a little homerish. But – Obviously, Kyle Hamilton's Kyle Hamilton. He might be the best player in the entire country. I probably shouldn't even say might behind that because he, he is. Um, he's going to cover up any mistake that they have, I think, especially at the safety spot. But I do think that Marcus from Cincinnati is going to do wonders for Houston Griffith. He was named the starter. The, the Brian Kelly and Freeman have, have said a lot of really good things about Griffith in camp, um, you know, and, and, and even in the spring to an extent. I think he's a guy that's it, this is going to be sort of his Asmar Bilal year, um, you know, and, and uh, that year that a lot of Notre Dame players have had in their last season. Um, I think he's going to be uh, in the back end along with. And then I think people are really underestimating the corners to an extent, mostly Clarence Lewis I mean, Clarence Lewis, was really, really good, true freshman last year. And I think some people think that he was just a solid true freshman, but I, I personally think he was, he was very good for a true freshman and that goes beyond just his recruiting ranking. Um, and then, you know, regardless of the fact, if, you know, guys like Tariq Bracey, Cam Hart, Ramon Henderson, whoever you want to name are complete studs at the opposite side. I think if you have three really good players in the back end of your defense, it's going to be a strength for your defense. If that comes to fruition, this defense is going to be outstanding. Yeah, no, and it goes back to the whole Freeman factor. I mean, I, I, I agree. I'm with you. I think the the defensive line is the strongest part. I think the linebackers are a little bit weaker without Leofow, but then the secondary has the question mark. So if that ends up being a strength, then where are the question marks? I mean, there I don't think there is any. All right, let's talk a little Florida State. Notre Dame. And again, I apologize for throwing Florida state's name out there first. Um, what, what do you guys, what are you guys sort of expecting in this game? I mean, it just Florida state scare you in any way, maybe outside of going into their atmosphere though. I, I mean, I think that sort of atmosphere can get quiet real quickly. If Notre Dame gets off to a hot start, considering Florida state has been bad over the last couple of years. So if Notre Dame can get off to a quick touchdown or, you know, or, or even the go first up play like, of the game. Right, exactly. I mean, Lindsey, we already called it. So, uh, John might lose his shit if Lorenzo Styles scores the first touchdown of the game on the first, <laughs> on the first play. Oh my gosh, give it to me. 
<laughs> um, but no, what do you guys actually expect for this game? I mean, I, I feel like the, the line is just absurdly weird. I, I think it's almost borderline disrespectful for Notre Dame to be only a seven point favorite or whatever it is at this point. You know, I, I know it's on the road. Florida State's probably going to be a little bit better. But that's a like I said, that's a team that if Notre Dame gets off to any sort of hot start, they're going to almost have zero confidence because it's going to essentially be a, oh, here we go again type of moment for that, for that program. What are you guys, what are you guys expecting? Go ahead, Mason. Um, I'm expecting a slow start from Notre Dame. Actually, I expect Kelly to come out and be conservative and get Jack Cohn comfortable, even though he doesn't really need to be. Um, I think the first quarter, maybe even the first half is going to be shaky. We're all going to be like, oh, shit, here we go. But I expect Notre Dame to pull away in the second half. I'm trying to think through some numbers in my head of what, thinks, or what, I, what I think is legit. Uh, I'll say 31-17 Notre Dame. That seems comfortable. All right. That's a so, bummer. How do you? I think here's, here's what makes me a little bit nervous. I say this about programs like – Florida State, USC, Miami, even when they are down as a program, they have enough athletes that if you let them hang around, something stupid can happen. Uh, And I think with a team like this, it's imperative that you get down to business early, shut that crowd up, kill that whole Bobby Bowden Memorial game, whole thing they're going to have going. And get off to a good start. Because if you let a team with athletes hang around in the second half at home, anything can happen. That being said, this is not an insult to Florida State. Notre Dame and Florida State are simply in very different positions overall as programs. And it's just what it is. So I don't want it to be rocky in the beginning. I don't know what the final score is. Notre Dame wins by double digits. I don't know. Sometimes these week ones, the offenses take a while to get going. So I am not confident on a point total. But Notre Dame wins this game by double digits. Easy. And if not, I'm going to have an aneurysm next week. (laughs) I'm serious. They're just, they're in the middle of a rebuild. Still recovering from Willie Taggart. (laughs) It's the lines are not, I don't trust either one of their lines. I think Notre Dame could dominate them in the trenches. Get going and take care of business. Yeah, I'll start out with my record or with my score prediction. I think it's going to be 42 23. I actually see it kind of similar to the Virginia Tech game a few years back um, at Virginia Tech, where Notre Dame didn't necessarily get off to a slow start but they did let Virginia Tech hang around in this in the first half. And I think that's okay to, you know, to a certain extent week one, um, especially in a, a hostile environment, environment of sorts. Um, but I think in the second half is going to be pretty much a dominant effort. I don't think Florida State's going to have an answer for Michael Mayer. I don't think they're going to have much of an answer for, for Kyron Williams. And I think that the front seven specifically is going to completely dominate, um, you know, the, the, the Florida State offensive so, line okay but let me let me ask this then why in the hell is the line going down for the game then like I, what is I, what is causing that shift if the line's going down i think it all i think all pretty much it has to do with the fact that and we've talked about this the entire podcast pretty much is that there's this there's this idea that notre dame's going to be a nine and three eight and four team 
and they're not as good as as we think they are. Um, and I, I really think that's what it boils down to is that there's not just there's not this you know, this confidence level that Notre Dame is going to be a, a playoff contender this year like they have been in years past. Now, let me ask you guys this. What do you make of the idea that they have not announced a starting quarterback? Is it is it a deal where they just want Notre Dame to have to prepare for both? Or is it a situation where if you have two, you really have none? What do you make of that dynamic? It's both. It's gamesmanship, them just trying to get us to prepare Notre Dame to prepare for two quarterbacks and that I really don't think they have a starter necessarily unless one is broken out that we haven't heard about. So yeah, I think it's a little bit of both in that they want Notre Dame to prepare for two, but they also aren't really sure what they want to do. And like you said, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. So I think we'll probably see both. And I don't, I'm not really convinced either one is great. I think, was it Travis? Is that his last name? Last year played well. Yeah. Jordan and then, Travis. And then Milton from uh, UCF. Um, I like him. Um, I think he's a good player, but I've, I haven't seen well, – th- none of us have seen anything from him since he was in that terrible uh, injury. So I think they might have zero quarterbacks if they want to play both. I think you just should have just rolled with Travis, but I, My, I'm, not the, I'm not the coach. The reason I think they're doing it is I think they're rolling with Travis, but Notre Dame played Travis last year. He gave them some fits specifically with his legs, but Notre Dame's had a full year to really plan around him being the guy. And, and I don't think that they wanted them to be super confident that he was 100% going to be the guy that they're rolling out. But that's pretty much everybody I've talked to, everything I've seen on Florida State. Milton's not necessarily fully healthy or he's missed some camp and stuff like that or more time than people realize. And he's not necessarily ready to go um, at, or at least at full strength. So I, I really think that they just want Notre Dame to, to believe that there's a chance that he's – that the starter and that's the guy that they've prepared for but in all reality i think that notre dame's more than prepared to handle both um and they probably have game plans for both but specifically i think it really boils down to the fact that travis gave them fits last year and they want to make sure that notre dame's not coming in fully prepared to, to stop his you know his legs specifically um john let's wrap up here um i know mason's got to get going here in a few minutes Let's wrap up here with uh, some Sox Cubs talk. Um, and you're a big Sox fan, just like Mason is. And me and Mason have kind of gone back and forth on this podcast, um, you know, over the last few weeks, you know, talking, you know, really what what's kind of like the, you know, how, how good the Sox really are. Obviously, the Cubs are in a rebuild. So it kind of really goes back to, uh, you know, like the 2015, 2016, where the roles were reversed. What, what's your what's your sort of uh, just general consensus on, on the White Sox right now? I mean, there's no doubt they're a really good team. They are benefiting from being in a weak division. There's no denying that it's a weak division. Um, a lot's been made of their record against teams that are above 500. If you look at it, most teams end up around 500 against teams that are above 500 if you're a good playoff team. Sure. I'm not extremely concerned about that record specifically. What causes me some anxiety is, you know, you bust your ass 162 games of the year. You build this huge double-digit lead in the division. And then once the playoffs start, it's a clean slate with a lot of inherent randomness baseball. You need health, you need your good pitching, and you need to string some timely hitting together. 
and I, I, it just causes me anxiety. I don't particularly like thinking about the Yankees. I've about had enough of them this year. And Mike Trout, or Mike Trout, uh, the the giant judge. You don't have to worry about Mike Trout. Yeah, judge. I'm done with him. Um, so I, I'm starting to get to the point where I'm just having a little playoff anxiety because of the inherent randomness of playoff baseball. Yeah. And and the health makes me a little irpy with the starting pitching. Really good team. It just needs to all come together at the right time. Yeah, and one thing I was telling Mason, I think this was a few weeks back at this point, is this year is way different than like the 2016 Cubs World Series where I think the Cubs were far and away the best team in baseball in the regular season. You know, pretty much everybody was predicting them to make the World Series no matter what and probably win the World Series outside of, you know, the whole curse ordeal. The Sox are going to have a tougher road in the playoffs than than the Cubs technically should have you know i mean obviously you have the tampa bay rays which god knows why they're so good but they are um you know like you mentioned you got the yankees you got the red Sox. Um, you got houston you got banging houston. their garbage can right exactly and if you know and if the a's or something like that pull it off and, and make the playoffs as well that's another really talented squad overall so there's a lot of talent there and i think that you could almost argue that all those teams are are generally pretty equal in terms of what they can do in the playoffs yeah i think they're all very good teams and john and i don't want to hear about the a's because that was a whole debacle last year um, i think it all <laughs> it all comes down to staying healthy i think the white Sox had a fully healthy team for the first time like a week ago for a solid game and a half and then <laughs> everything went to shit again so tim anderson's out uh lynn's out rodan's coming back tonight um everybody yeah, everybody just seems to be a little bit banged up but that's Part of it, I mean, I'd rather have this spot than really fighting for a playoff spot in a, in a battle. You know, you're up by a ton, which is a blessing and a curse because you're not – you don't have that, like, playoff mode where the White Sox, if they come in sleeping into the playoffs, they're going to they're gonna get bounced immediately. So you have to have that killer demeanor, like, immediately where you're, like, ready to go. And I don't know if they're, if they're going to be ready for that. I've got to trust Tony La Russa and, and trust that he knows – what he's doing. I've doubted him a couple times this year. I've been right on a couple and he's proved me wrong a couple times. So still not totally sold on him, but I mean, what are you going to do at this point? All yeah. I, I think the, the, I had that concern as well about when you get into coast mode, when you have that big of a lead going into the playoffs, but I think that's now shifted to where it's get healthy mode. And now I'm more worried about that than the coasting. You got a big lead. Take all the time you need. Sit whoever you need to sit. Rest your pitchers, whatever. Um, I am hoping, Mason, addressing your La Russa stuff, I am hoping maybe this is an area where you're not going to see it on paper, but a guy with his experience and longevity really does provide some benefit because he knows what it feels like and looks like to win these playoff series and how you got to be locked in. And I think maybe that's where he could make a positive difference. And, and it isn't noticeable on paper. I hope so. John, does it bother you? Like when they pan to the dugout, how he always, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of not like he looks drunk. Like something's wrong with him. When he's standing Sleepy in the dugout. Like he's like halfway there. It's well, he Tony. might be drunk given his history. I don't know. <laughs> 
I think it's probably likely. The last time I was at the ballpark, the guy had a had a jersey on Larusa, the last name and the and the number on the back was point zero eight. <laughs> I love it. That's wrap, that's that's bad, but I like it. But it's bad. I'll wrap it up with this, guys. I personally think Lance Lynn is on the is on the IL strictly because he was a little embarrassed what the Cubs did to him, so he just needed seven days off. Oh, stop! Jeez, well, thanks, going Cubs. Into that and you know it. Thanks, well, Cubs. We'll take Eloy. Thanks, and Cubs. Cease has the nastiest stuff on the roster. We'll uh, we'll have to get into the Jose Quintana trade uh, on a different podcast because I he definitely lost the trade. I oh, definitely boy. see it in a little bit different light than than most Sox fans do. I'm not going to sit there and say that either team won the deal necessarily, but no one team um, won. I think uh, I think what Quintana provided. Well, like I said, we'll get into this on another pod, but I think what Quintana provided the Cubs is way more valuable than what people realize. Here. Well, you. You keep convincing yourself that, and I'll watch Eloy <laughs> hit 500-foot home runs for it 20 more years. It makes him feel better at night. John, we'll have to have you back on soon. We'll do it. We'll do it. We could do it. All right, guys. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Uh, we are recording this right now um, on Wednesday, so this will be up tomorrow on all platforms, Golden Homers um, podcast episode four. We went through FSU preview, Notre Dame. Uh, a season outlook predictions bold predictions uh john go ahead real quick and tell the people where they can find you on youtube type in always irish subscribe if you haven't yet i appreciate it twitter search bar always irish or at jkznd4 all of the youtube videos are dubbed over to audio only anywhere you want me you could give me Awesome. Yep. And you guys, like John said, you can find him anywhere. Uh, he's a great listen, especially if you want to hear just the, the bold truth, I guess is what I would call it. Um, and uh, so, no, I, we appreciate you, John, for coming on. We'll definitely have you on here again soon. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, you can be a good friend of the podcast moving forward. Um, we're, we're striving to get to where you're at. I think I was seeing where your uh, where your shows are mostly getting, you know, five, 600 views minimum. And uh, that's definitely something we're striving for. And uh, no, we, we, we've always appreciated your work. And uh, like I said, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate that. You know, I've done, done work with you guys before and uh, anytime. All right, guys. Perfect. Good night. See you guys tomorrow.